Good morning. Welcome to Beijing Diary. This is Eric coming to you from sunny Kunming, where every day is Saturday morning. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I guess Kunming is just sort of a Saturday morning kind of place, if you know what I mean. If you don't know what I mean, you're out of luck because I don't have a clue. <laughs> no, it's just a kind of a it, it, winter is the dry season in Kunming, so it's it's really sunny in the winter and、uh, pretty rainy in the summer. Although the rain comes down in torrents, so actually,、uh, even though you may have a torrential rainfall. It、might last for an hour, and then you have sunshine again. So the summers are actually pretty nice. I've been coming here in the summer for a number of years just to get away from the Beijing heat. And I used to think, boy, I wish it was like Oregon, where the dry season is in the summer and the rainy season is in the winter. But now I live here, and so I'm really glad <laughs> that the rainy season is in the summer because summer rains are warm. And as I said, in the Southeast Asia here, the summer comes down, you know, to the torrential rains. So You get all your rainfall in a very short period of time, and then the sun comes out again. And then the winter season is usually pretty dry. Well, it's pretty cold at night. Anyway, I、uh, I'll talk to you about that sometime. How I、uh, ended up moving here and I and leaving Beijing and so on. But right now, today, I want to talk about、uh, Vice President Pence, or former Vice President Pence, and the dilemma that he was facing on January. Sixth, because I have been somewhat troubled by uh, the uh, venom and、uh, invective, and sometimes not not really venom or anger, but disappointment、uh, directed toward him. And you know, when you're disappointed with someone, that's because they don't live up to your expectations. And I am of the belief that the expectation was. Was at least problematic, but really, I think、uh, unreasonable in the sense that,、uh, well, that's what we need to talk about. So the question I, I would frame it like this: What could he have done? What was he supposed to do? Now, keep in mind, I'm talking about the frustration、uh, expressed about Pence from Trump supporters, not from the Trump haters. You know, Pence has gotten it from every every side. After the Republican convention, Trump haters were accusing him of blasphemy of all things. But you know, you you expect Trump haters not to like him. But I'm talking about Trump supporters. I saw, I was watching a a report on CBN, Christian Broadcasting Network. They have a really good、uh, you know about a ten minute news clip. That if you go to YouTube and look for a Seven Hundred Club. Channel and then click on full episodes. At the beginning of the full episode is about a ten-minute news spot, and it's it's short but but very 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 thorough. And I think it was I was watching that one time, and I, they actually showed they had a photographer embedded with the protesters going into the building, and I heard this guy saying, "Hang Pence." These are Trump supporters who are angry at Pence because he didn't.、Uh, Single-handedly nullify the electoral counts from certain states. So there seems to have been an expectation of Pence that he would、uh, do this. Now, I、uh, on the blog page there, I have listed、uh, um, what Jenna Ellis said. She also expressed 
disappointment. And but I, there, there's a link there for the radio program she was on, and in the, on the radio program she doesn't say that she expected him to nullify the votes. So I need to clarify that. That's not what she's saying. But I was a little unclear about how she she says that he should not open the. Uh, envelopes from those states that are contested and send them back to the states. I, I like I, as I said on that uh, on my blog, I, I wish I could have coffee with her and and, and just uh, talk about exactly what she had in mind there. That because you know if the state sends uh, two sets of electors, aren't doesn't that imply that they're requesting arbitration? So how does it help to send it back to them? And I read someone else saying that he should have opened both sets of electoral votes and read them. What's the purpose of that, though? To let the Congress decide? And when I was listening to uh, uh, Ben Shapiro's analysis of the day, he said the Congress does not have the right to decide. And I became curious of that, so I went back and looked at the Election Act, and it does appear that they're trying to put more, uh, push it more back to the states, which is constitutional. The states are supposed to determine the electors. So the, the whole point of this is there needs to be some clarification of who is the final arbiter of dispute because several states sent dual sets of electors. That implies a dispute. Now, uh, I mentioned the case by Louis Gomart, and if you look at the Election Act of, uh, is it 1887? Don't have it right in front of me here, but I think it's the Election Act of 1887. The very, very seriously contested election was 1876, and then uh, 10 years later they came up with this act. And it does seem to be that the, they are pushing that back on the states. But in that article, there, if you scroll to the bottom, there is a, section on Louis Gohmert's uh, challenge, which was just before January 6th. His idea was to try to for, uh, have the court declare that Pence had the authority to nullify the electors from these contested states. Well, I totally disagree with that. And at the time, I thought that was ludicrous. But now I look at it differently. I think the court should have taken it and adjudicated it because I think it may have prevented what happened on January 6th. So this is something that needs to be fixed. Now, what needs to be fixed? There needs to be an absolute, unquestioned clarification about what is the president's, the vice president's duty on that day. Because when you listen to Trump's remarks, and I'll talk about that in another podcast, because it's his remarks that he was being uh, was impeached for, and the accusation is that his remark, remarks were an incitement to violence. Well, there's some problems with that, and I'll talk about that later, but clearly, when in listening to his remarks, he seemed to be under the impression that there was something the demonstrators could do on that day to affect the outcome, as if the outcome were not already established. Well, if his lawyer believed that, if Jenna Ellis believed that, you, you can't blame Trump for having that impression. But Pence clearly did not believe that. Louis Gohmert's case should have shown that, even though it was rejected. It did include, you know, Pence did respond to the Justice Department. And so 
it should have been clear what Pence thought his duties were, at least. So there was a lot of uh, misunderstanding about this and and, uh, misapprehension about what could possibly happen, and I think that led to the conflict. Uh, Because if there there was not that expectation, then... uh, the conflict will not happen. So here's 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 my point. Do the states send two sets of electors? And if they send two sets of electors, they're obviously asking for arbitration. Who is the body of arbitration? Does the Congress vote on it? Well, some are saying no. The Congress does not have authority to do that because of the Election Act of 1887. But if it's it's going to be anyone, it should be the Congress, not the Vice President. So we can argue about whether Congress has that authority, but there should be no question about whether the Vice President has that authority. Come on, you guys, it's unthinkable to have a situation where the Vice President can single-handedly nullify any group of electors. In other words, that the Vice President can single-handedly decide who the next President's going to be. That's not the Vice President's role. The Vice President is the presider, not the decider. So I think there was a misapprehension on the part of the Trump supporters. But there was also some real craziness on the Democratic side because they lashed out at uh, people for even objecting, particularly Senator Ted Cruz and Senator Josh Hawley. One of them in the House was actually suggesting they could be put on classified as domestic terrorists and put on a no-fly list. That's nonsense. And it's completely hypocritical. Democrats have objected several times to elector votes when it was a Republican who won. So what do we have now? A situation where Democrats are allowed to object, but if a Republican objects, they're a domestic terrorist? That's foolishness. Now, to be fair, not all the Democrats went along with that craziness. Senator Dianne Feinstein said very clearly, they have a right to speak. And I want, that's, that's what I really want to talk about today, that right to speak. Now, uh, those of you who don't know who Diane Feinstein is, she's from senator from California, and her her views on various issues such as abortion actually are quite a bit to the left. But being from California, she stands in contrast to the the loonies that we typically expect from. You know, she was never as crazy as Barbara Boxer or who's the new one now, Maxine Waters. Uh, you know the mouthy uh, loony lefties that we expect from California, uh, Dianne Feinstein was a much more sensible, you know, intelligent person. Even though I disagreed with her on a lot of issues, I've, I've always thought of her as a respectful person. She, she, she's a very old woman. She's in her 80s, I think. And she comes from the old school, you know, the idea that you uh, have strong disagreements about issues but treat each other respectfully. Well, uh you may remember during the Kavanaugh hearings, it was her office that was putting out this this uh, accusation, which resulted in a blow-up, and uh, one of uh, Senator Lindsey Graham's finest moments was when he just uh, unloaded on them with the way they were treating Kavanaugh. That came from her office, but I felt even at the time that I think it, she was embarrassed by that. I really don't know that she would have done something like that. But I was interested to see that when uh, Amy Coney Barrett was uh, before the Judiciary Committee, after the hearing, uh, Dianne Feinstein went out of the way to thank 
uh, Senator Graham, Lindsey Graham, for how he had conducted the hearing. And afterwards, they gave each other a hug, and that was, you know, to a Democrat, is the unpardonable sin. And so Schumer, Senator Schumer, has is sort of edging her out of her leadership positions because of her cordiality toward the Republicans. You see, in today's modern Democratic Party, there's a politically correct level of hatred toward Republicans that has to be maintained. It's not good enough to disagree with them. You have to express venom, and if you, if you, if you show respect and cordiality, that's just uh, unthinkable. So there was craziness on both sides of this. Democrats, you know, accusing people of being terrorists because they dare to object to electoral votes. So this is what I want to talk about. If you, if you say that the vice president has no authority to overturn the electoral votes, uh, then you need to decide, does Congress have authority? Ben Shapiro, says, ben Shapiro says no, and the Election Act seems to agree with that. But when they send, the states send dual groups, dual sets of uh, elector, electors, does that not imply that they're requesting arbitration from somebody? So that needs to be clarified. This is really, really important. Does the Congress have the authority to choose, if, if a state sends two sets of electors, does the Congress have the authority as the final arbiter to decide which set to accept? If not, then why are they sending the two sets of electors? And also, if not, why is there even a vote in Congress? In, in a democracy, a vote should never be ceremonial or meaningless. Now, some people say the electoral vote is ceremonial. Well, the procedure may be ceremonial, but the vote is not. The, the electors are, in some states, sworn by affidavit to cast the vote that they've, that they've chosen to, be, to sit for. You, you choose, you know, do you want to be a Democratic elector or a Republican elector? If you choose to be a Republican elector, then, as a matter of integrity, you should vote for the re Republican candidate. But, so, uh, when I was in college studying... Uh, public administration, political science, I said at that time we should abolish the electoral college and just have the procedure. And the professor said, well, you, what you want is not really to abolish the electoral college, it's just to eliminate the electors. Well, it all comes down to how you express it. I do not believe the electoral college distribution should be abolished, the way some people say, just have go by the popular vote. I think the electoral college is important because it ensures regional distribution. But that's a different uh, lecture for a different time. I prepared a lecture for my students on the Electoral College and why it's important, and perhaps I'll share that uh, in, a, in a different podcast. Uh, but the, the electoral vote process, that's very important. But if there is a dispute, here's the question. Does the Congress have the authority to resolve that dispute as the final arbiter? If not... As Rand Paul said in, in his, his uh, it's either in his interview with Stephanopoulos or in his speech before the Senate, both of which were very good, he said, I voted to accept the electors because, you know, the, the Congress, we were obligated to accept the ones that are certified. Well, if the Congress is obligated to vote a certain way, why are they voting? You see, a vote should never be meaningless in a democracy. That really needs to be clarified. Who is the final arbiter? If it's the states, then the states shouldn't be sending dual sets of electors because 
you're saying, okay, you know, the states choose who the electors are. That's your problem. You guys resolve it. But once they get here, we're just going by what you sent. But then there shouldn't be a vote in the Congress. I, I don't get that. If there's a vote in Congress, that implies that you have a choice to vote yay or nay. And that should mean something. If the majority of people reject a certain group of electors, they should be rejected. So that really needs to be clarified. And it's that lack of clarification that caused a lot of problems on January 6th. So I want to talk to you now about what should have happened. But again, Louis Gohmert's case, and you can read about it if you look up the Election Act of, of 1887. You can read about his case if you scroll down to the bottom. And I thought it was ridiculous. I still kind of think it's ridiculous, but I wish the court had taken it. Because if they had, if they had, that may have prevented the problems on January 6th. But even, even though they did not accept it, at least that case showed what Pence thought about it because of his response to that case. He didn't accept the idea that he was supposed to be the final arbiter. So people should have known that. <clears throat> but there was a great bit of discrepancy and disagreement even among Trump supporters about what the vice president's role was. This is not a conflict now between Republicans and Democrats. It's a conflict between Republicans and a disagreement between Republicans and Republicans. Trump supporters and Trump supporters. People who supported Trump but said, no, it's, that's not the vice president's role. People who supported Trump but said, yes, that is the vice president's role. So there needs to be a lot of debate and discussion about this, but this needs to be established. Who is the final arbiter of uh, the electoral votes if there's a conflict? Okay, so what should have happened on January 6th? The point is that when you have the process before the Congress, the members have a right to stand and state their objection. Well, if the, if the result, if the ultimate result is foregone, what is the purpose of doing that? The Democrats seem to be saying that they should not be allowed to object actually accusing them of being domestic terrorists because they dared to object to electors. Although they didn't seem to object when Democrats objected you know, in previous uh, elections. And there have been several cases where Democrats object. They weren't accused of being terrorists. They weren't threatened with being uh, you know, kicked out of the congressional body. It's ridiculous. So what is the point? Well, do, do you really believe that members of the, the Senate or the House should not be allowed to object to electoral votes? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that Supreme Court justices should not be allowed to write dissenting opinions? Should we only have the opinion of the, the winning side, or should we allow dissenting opinions? Dissenting opinions are very important. One of the most significant is the recent one on the church's opening in California. The dissent was written by Gorsuch, Justice Gorsuch, and it was very good, very brief, very to the point, very clear, very lucid, and you notice that even Jalcos ran with that. Wow, we're taking this one, you know, and uh, uh, 
John MacArthur actually opened his church after that dissenting opinion. When I saw that, I'm like, you guys, do you realize this is a dissent? You know, <laughs> this is not the decision. This is the dissent. People went with the dissent. And even the media, even the, even the secular media, published Gorsuch's dissent. I never did see the decision. So dissenting opinions can be very influential. They're very important. What should have happened on January 6th is for people such as Senator Ted Cruz and Senator Hawley to stand and in the, also in the House and give their objections and state why their objections. Now, I'm going to talk about this in a, in a separate podcast, but this election has was loaded with problems. It, it, it was loaded with problems. Uh, <clears throat> Senator Rand Paul did a very good job of elucidating that in his speech to the Senate. And I'll talk more about that in a different podcast. But there were very good reasons to raise objections. Now, what is the point of it if you already know you're going to lose? The result was pretty much foregone. The point is that, you know, Jesus said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth shall set you free. So, the most important thing is for the truth to come out, whatever that truth is. Listen to me. In society as well as in life, the truth is the most important thing. The truth is far, far more important than winning a specific election. If it takes two or three years to, 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 to clarify what actually happened in this election, it'll be worth that for the truth to come out. And so to establish the truth is very important. It's very important to have an opportunity for people who have objections to state those objections and make those objections a matter of record. And the vice president's role is to ensure that that happens in a civil manner in a way that everyone has a complete freedom to state their case. Now, Ted Cruz had suggested a commission and I, I think that should have been done. I think that would have been a very good thing to do. And if there would have been strong enough Republican support for it, it may have happened. There wasn't. Many, many Republicans, although they support Trump, did not believe that there should be objection. The most significant was, was McConnell. Uh, <clears throat> and some were kind of in between, such as... Uh, Senator uh, Lindsey Graham, he categorically rejected the notion that they shouldn't be allowed to speak. He said, no, they have a right to speak, and I will listen to them, but they have a high bar. That was his statement. So there was considerable disagreement within the Republican Party about uh, whether or not it was really a good idea to object to the electoral votes at that point. And there's considerable disagreement about whether the election was basically fair or whether it was fraudulent or whether Trump actually won or Biden actually won. There's disagreement about that within the Republican Party. Forget about the Democrats. Within the Republican Party, there's disagreement about that. So there was not strong support for, the, for Ted Cruz's idea of a commission. But there was support for his right to state objections. And... The riots on January 6th did not enhance that process. They totally demolished it. So what happened was a tragedy because 
it nullified what really should have happened in that situation. Uh, to have a, a full day or two days or however many days to make sure that all objections are aired and documented in a matter of public record. Sometimes you have to accept that it's over. And Trump supporters had a hard time doing that. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you, you adjudicate, you know, whether you know, Biden fairly won. Sometimes it takes time for those kinds of things to be fully investigated. The election was the, the beginning of November. The inauguration is the 20th of January. That's only two and a half months. I'm sorry, two and a half months is very short in the legal world. The Mueller investigation lasted two years. So, you know, at some point you have to say, okay, the gig is up for this election. And, you know, okay, I, I don't believe that, we don't believe that Trump actually lost or we think there was a lot of corruption or whatever, but we have to accept the fact that for now, this is the way it's going to be. Now, should Trump have gone to the inauguration? I don't blame him for not wanting to be there. I would have had a tough time because I believe there was massive fraud in this election. But I don't want to talk about that now. I'm focusing on Vice President Pence's prerogatives because I think he was imposed upon unfairly uh, by people who had expectations of him that were, that were not reasonable. But is there something else he could have done? Possibly he could have opened both sets of electors and read them both. But I don't know that he even had that prerogative. But if he didn't, then why did they send the two sets of electors, you see? So you had a situation where the states were requesting arbitration, and the Congress is saying that's not our job. And Pence seemed to go along with the idea that that was not his, his role. It certainly wasn't his role. But it, it could be the Congress's role. And that needs to be established. That needs to be clarified. So I'm not saying that there's nothing he could have done, but if there was something he could have done, I can't figure out what it would have been. I, I, I can't, as I said, I'd really like to talk with Jan Ellis and have her explain to me exactly what she's thinking. Because she was saying he should have just not opened them and sent them back to the States. I don't know. But I think he has been very uh, unfairly maligned by both sides. As I said, the Trump haters actually accused him of blasphemy. You know, those people will say anything about, about Pence or anyone who supports moral causes. Uh, but the, but the, in this case, the Republican, you know, the Republicans, the Trump supporters were lashing out at him, really angry at him because he didn't overturn the election. Now, you know, they've been accused of trying to overturn an election. No, look, if the election is stolen, dealing with that fraud is writing the election. The, the, the stolen election is is an unlawful attempt to overturn an election. So there was a very, very different perception of what was going on there. And that will continue. This is not over, not by a long shot, and it shouldn't be over. And Senator Rand Paul is right. Those irregularities need to be examined. But the, for the purposes of January 6th, it was not the vice president's role to single-handedly nullify electoral votes. We cannot have a country where the vice president can arbitrarily 
well, of course, they wouldn't say arbitrarily, but the, the, the vice president, one person should not be charged with overturning electoral votes or deciding which electoral votes are valid. There may, debate, may be debate about whether the Congress has that role. I tend to think the Congress should have that role, and I think that should be clarified. But for sure, the vice president does not and should not have that role. So I believe that the expectations of Pence were unreasonable. So let me tell you what I think should be the case, and then you can, you know, you know, give your own ideas. But I believe that the Congress, if there are dual sets of electors, the Congress should read both of them, and then the Congress should vote and decide which set is valid. Now, of course, in this Congress, it would have been uh, probably a foregone conclusion. I don't know. I think probably most Republicans would have voted to accept the certified results. But if anybody should be the one, anybody or group, any people, a person, a group of people should be the one to decide to be the final arbiter, it should be the Congress. The Congress should have a vote and decide. So I think perhaps it would have been good to read both sets of electors, but but that wasn't clear. There's a lot of disagreement about whether the Congress has that role. Even Rand Paul said he voted for it because it's not the Congress's place to decide. Well, then why do they have a vote? You know, you see, there's a contradiction. There's a built-in contradiction in the way the system operates now. But if we say no, the Congress should not have that role. Once the states make a decision, that's it. Then there's no point in sending two sets of electors, but there's also no point in the Congress taking a vote. As I said, and I can't say this enough times, in a democracy, a vote should never be meaningless. A vote should never be cer merely ceremonial. Every time there's a vote, you should have a choice between yay or nay. You know, the electors, their vote is foregone because they've made a decision before they chose to become an elector which vote they're going to take. But the vote was not meaningless, it just happened before. But if you say the Congress has to accept whatever the states certify, then their vote is meaningless. That's not good. No vote should be meaningless in a democracy. So I am of the view that the Congress should be the final arbiter in situations where there are dual sets of electors. But that was not clear in this, in this case. Uh... But one thing that should be clear is that the vice president does not have that role. And if he had read dual sets of electors, what good does that do if the Congress does not believe it can vote to, can choose between those dual sets of electors? You know, there, there's so much confusion about this. And this really needs to be clarified. This is really an important issue. There's a lot that needs to be fixed about the way this election was conducted because it was absolutely terrible. This is the worst election I've seen in, in my history of observing elections since the election of 1960, I've never seen anything this bad. This was horrible. Uh, but uh, I'll talk more about that in other podcasts. My point is that uh, I believe Vice President Pence is an honorable man. I think he, he fulfilled his role appropriately if he, he should have... Janet Ellis is saying he shouldn't have opened the envelopes at all, but I heard someone else saying he should have read both sets. And I agree with that if the Congress 
has the role of deciding which set to accept. But apparently there's a lot of disagreement about that. So that needs to be clarified. Put it simply, who is the final arbiter, arbiter when there is a dispute about which set of electors is the real one? As I said, several states sent dual sets of electors. What does that mean? Is it just a meaningless protest, or does the Congress actually have a role in making that decision? That needs to be clarified. That really needs to be clarified. And there was a lot of disagreement about that. But one thing is absolutely clear. Vice President Pence does not have that role. The Vice President does not have the role of deciding which group of electors to accept. The Vice President should not be doing that. The Vice President should not be charged with that responsibility. He is the presider, not the decider. It is very important for him to give full audience to those who have objections, who raise objections, and those objections should be respected whether or not you agree with them. So both uh, the Republicans and the Democrats, uh, there, were, there, were, there were problems in the way they looked at this. There's a lot of fuzziness in how that process is viewed, and that does need to be clarified. <clears throat> but I think, you know, for, for me, uh, I, I, I look at someone like Vice President Pence, I'm, I'm thankful to God for giving America such a uh, principled man for such a time as this. What happened on uh, January 6th was, was, was a disaster. It could have been a historic day. Well, it was a historic day, but not in the way I was hoping. I really was hoping that there could have been clear, stated objections, you know, dissenting opinions that would be a matter of record. And then we proceed with... with uh, full examination of these many, many, many inequities uh, and irregularities that happened at the state level. I don't know if we'll ever know who, ever, who actually won that election. But, you know, to say that Trump, you know, won by a landslide, I don't think that's been established. But to say that the election was completely fair, it's just completely it's absurd. No, no person of integrity would make that kind of statement unless they're just completely ignorant, which in which case they shouldn't be saying it. You know, pretending that you know something when you don't is not honest either. But whatever the case may be, I do believe that uh, Vice President Pence was uh, a, a gift to America. He's a very responsible, honorable person, and if there's something he should have done differently. Tell me what it was and how he could have done that. Explain that to me. Okay, I will uh, talk in a separate podcast about the election, explain some of the, the problems and the way it was viewed, problems with the way it happened and problems with the way it was viewed. And then I will probably talk separately about the impeachment Uh that, that is this impeachment that's going on right now. Uh, because those, those are two separate issues. 
The impeachment, of course, has to do with the assumption that the people who broke into the Capitol were riled up by Trump's speech. But we now know that the break into the Capitol happened before the speech had finished. So there are problems, big problems with that rest of judgment. Uh, if you're interested in the impeachment issue, there are two questions to consider. Well, you may have your own questions, but I, I think you would be well served to consider mine. <laughs> Here are my two questions. Number one, did the uh, president commit an impeachable offense? Question number two, was impeachment necessary to remove the president from office? I think the answer to question number two is obvious. No, it was not necessary. The purpose of impeachment is to remove the president from office. Since it wasn't necessary to remove the president from office, it shouldn't have happened. But I'm still interested in the first question because it's really, really important. Did the president commit an impeachable offense? Under that question are two sub-questions. Uh, did his speech, did the remarks in his speech constitute an incitement to violence? And a second sub-question is, did anybody who actually broke into the Capitol hear his speech? Because we now know that the people who heard his speech and to the very end and walked down to the Capitol, I read one interview where they got down there and smelled tear gas. Well, you know, the thing was, the whole fracas was pretty much over by the time they got there. So those are the two questions. The sub-questions, did, did his remarks constitute incitement to violence? Did anybody hear those remarks actually break into the Capitol? Uh, there is a third question, but I'm not, I didn't, I don't really include it because I assume that everybody agrees. So the third question is, should incitement to violence be considered an, an impeachable offense? But I'm assuming that everybody believes that that would be an impeachable offense. If you don't, <laughs> I'm interested in your arguments, but I, I, I'm just leaving that question out because I'm assuming that everybody everybody agrees that incitement to violence is an impeachable offense. So, the first question, did the president commit an impeachable offense? The second question, was impeachment necessary to remove the president from office? And under the first question, did the president commit an impeachable offense? Under that are two sub-questions. Did his remarks constitute an incitement to violence? And number two, did anyone who heard his remarks actually... Was anyone who heard his march involved in the break into the Capitol? It was a disaster and completely nullified what should have happened. It should have been an historic day. I mean, historic in a good way, with legislators clearly doing basically what Rand Paul did, uh, stating objections and why this election was so problematic for the record. And then, you know, we can go on and do the investigations at the state levels and continue to try to find out exactly what happened. Okay, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll come back to this and in those other two issues. I'll probably do a separate podcast on the election and then uh, another po podcast on the uh, impeachment. I don't know. I may try to combine those, but I, I think they probably deserve separate treatment um, okay guys thanks for being with us and uh, we'll see you next time 
This podcast is hosted online at BeijingDiary.Podbean.com. That's BeijingDiary.Podbean.com. <laughs>